0: If you have your Bible handy this morning, I want to do a little exercise to begin with. I want you to open to the Gospel of Matthew, the first chapter. And if if you don't have your Bible with you, I'll illustrate what I want you to see from my Bible. But turn to the Gospel of Matthew, first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, the first uh, book of the New Testament. And when you find Matthew, keep your finger there for a minute. And I want you to turn back to the end of the Old Testament. The very end of the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 4 verse 6 as the Old Testament ends. And how many pages are between the Old Testament and the New? In most Bibles, it's a double-sided page. Maybe it says New Testament on it or New American Standard Bible as mine does. And if you have a study Bible, you might have five or six pages in here that talk about what happened between the Testaments, but there's nothing of God's Word between Malachi chapter 4 verse 6 and Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. And I want to tell you what these, this page or the pages in your Bible represents. They represent silence and darkness. In fact, you could just put a black, black sheet of paper in there. For 400 years, God had been completely and utterly silent. No word from God since the last prophet Malachi of the Old Testament. In fact, it had been over 600 years since there had been a recorded miracle. We'd have to go clear back to the time of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fiery furnace, Daniel's deliverance in the lion's den, and Daniel's time was also the last recorded appearance of an angel. And there's a reason that there's nothing between the Testaments. God, during this time, was absolutely silent. Now, it does not mean that God was not at work in human affairs, but it it could not be seen. God did not make it known what he was doing. No word, no angels, no miracles, no light. It was a spiritually dark time. Now, turn over to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. You got Matthew, Mark, and Luke in your Bible. And so turn over to Luke. When we come to the Gospel of Luke, we find that Luke picks up exactly where Malachi, the Old Testament, left off. Malachi ends, 400 years of silence. Luke picks it up 400 years later without missing a beat. And all of a sudden, in this time in history that Luke writes about, just about a year before Jesus' birth, we come into this time period, 400 years since the last prophet, 600 years since the last appearance of a heavenly visitor. 600 years since the last recorded miracle. 800 years since any long list of miracles occurred in the lives of the two prophets Elijah and Elisha. And now something very dramatic begins to happen as we pick up the account in the Gospel of Luke. All of a sudden, angels start to appear. All of a sudden, God starts to speak. And he reveals his word, and miracles begin to happen. And miracles start, and they come at a rate never before, before even imagined in the history of the world. There are far more miracles recorded than any time in history. There's a literal explosion of miracles on that little piece of earth known as Israel. And all of these miracles surround the great miracle, the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all these miracles are signs that indicate that God has indeed intervened in history. He's invaded history with a supernatural message and a supernatural reality, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And after 400 years of silence, God breaks his silence in Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin reading again this morning at verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. God breaks his silence. Verse 5, In the days of Herod the king, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled and he saw, when he saw the angel, And fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord, their God. For it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, even right now, as we're getting ready to look into your word, Father. I pray you'd be working in our hearts that we might be able to hear your voice this morning because you are the God who speaks. You are the God who speaks to us through your word, through your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that uh, you would come to us this morning in a way that we might know, come to know and believe what are the length and the breadth and the depths of all that you have for us in Christ Jesus, our Lord in whose name we pray. Amen. In this passage of Luke that I read, we see that God is at work in the unexpected. An elderly priest by the name of Zacharias was fulfilling his annual priestly obligation, serving on his rotation in the temple in Jerusalem. The day did not go as he had expected, even though he would have been excited about that day. It was an opportunity of a lifetime we see that here God is at work in the unexpected. Zacharias expected his week in priestly service to go like every other week, two weeks out of the year, two separate weeks of the year, for perhaps as many as 40 years or more. He was advanced in age, so he'd been serving two weeks out of the year plus the, the Passover week for over 40 years. And he'd go to serve at the temple, and for a full week, he would sacrifice animals for the offerings all day long or serve in one of the other priestly functions along with several other hundred priests that belonged to his order or division. But on this day, it was going to be different. He was going to have the opportunity of a lifetime. An opportunity that a priest would hope for and pray for. An opportunity that did not present itself to the majority of the priests because there were so many of them. And it was an opportunity that once you had this opportunity, you were never put uh, in the lot again so you could do it a second time. In verse 8 of Luke chapter 1, it says, Now it happened that while Zacharias was was performing his priestly service before God, In the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Twice every day, once in the morning, once in the evening, this was probably the time in the evening because there were so many people there outside in prayer. Twice every day, a priest was selected from the hundreds of priests to enter the holy place in the temple. Now, the altar of sacrifice, where all the animals were sacrificed, was just outside the door to the temple. And as you went past the altar of sacrifice, and you went through the door into the temple, you were in a room that was called the holy place. And in that holy place was the seven-stick candlestick, the menorah, the table of the showbread, and right in the middle was the altar of incense. And behind the holy place, behind the altar of incense, was the veil or the heavy curtain that separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies, beyond the veil it was a six-inch woven veil, a very heavy curtain. Beyond that was the place where God dwelt among the people. Now inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And if you were in the Holy of Holies, you were in the immediate presence of God. And only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies, and then only once a year on the Day of Atonement to make sacrifice for himself and sacrifice for the sins of the people. The high priest would enter through the veil. This was just once a year. And in the Holy of Holies, he sprinkled the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat on the top of the altar as an atonement, a covering, a covering of blood making sacrifice for the sins of the people. Now, that was just once a year. Now, in the case of Zacharias, his priestly function that evening, having been chosen by Lot, was to go into the holy place that first room, and to stand outside the Holy of Holies, for he could see the veil separating the Holy of Holies from the holy place where he would be as close to the immediate presence of God as he would ever be allowed. And in the holy place, there was that altar of incense. The incense and the smoke of the incense represented the prayers of the people as they went up and ascended to God. And as the one chosen to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense, Zacharias would take some hot coals from the altar outside from the sacrifice. He would put those hot coals in a pan and he would take them through the door into the holy place, place the coals on the altar of incense, And the incense would burn and fill the room with smoke and perfume and wafted into the presence of God who heard their prayers. Verse 10 of Luke chapter 1. While Zacharias was in the temple, it says, And the whole multitude of people were in prayer outside the hour of the incense offering all the other people and probably most of the people and the priests who were out there would have been prostrate in prayer before the Lord their God. And at a given signal, after purifying the altar of incense, Zacharias offered the incense and the sacrifice went up to God wrapped in a sweet incense of prayer as God heard the prayers of his people. Then it was Zacharias' job at that point to get out, come out and with the rest of the priest pronounce the ironic blessing that I usually close with. But something totally unexpected happened about the moment that he should have been turning around and, and coming out of the holy place. Verse 11. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. All of a sudden, as the smoke and the perfume filled the room, it would have been a dimly lit room, a supernatural being was standing there. The word translated "troubled" means to stir up, to be severely agitated. Zacharias was gripped with fear. And the angel of the Lord here was none other than Gabriel. The same Gabriel who appeared in Babylon to the prophet Daniel over 600 years before. Now there's some intended parallels here in these two appearances of Gabriel, once to, to Daniel and then to Zacharias. Gabriel appeared to to Daniel at the time of the evening sacrifice, and now Gabriel appears to Zacharias at the time of the evening sacrifice. Both men were gripped with fear. Daniel passed right out. He fell like fell on his face like a dead man, comatose. He was terrified. Zacharias didn't fall down, but uh, he matched Daniel's terror. Daniel was rendered temporarily speechless, as was Zacharias. You see, Daniel's encounter and vision of Gabriel had to do with the future revelation of the Messianic times. Gabriel revealed to him what is going to happen in the coming of the Messiah. And Zacharias' encounter signaled that the dawn of the Messianic times are here. This is it. Gabriel signaled the dawn of the Messianic times. Messiah is coming. And the prophetic eastern sky, as it were, had assumed that pre-dawn glow. And in a moment, as the angel appeared to Zacharias, the messianic fulfillment would light up the Jewish landscape. Those who walk in darkness, said Isaiah, will see a great light. But stricken Zacharias needed comfort. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. John. Here we see the Greek tense, the language indicates that having a son had been a long-standing prayer. It's a prayer that Zacharias and Elizabeth would have prayed over and over and over again, But it would have been some time since Zacharias had prayed for a son. You can imagine Zacharias and Elizabeth in their early months and their early years of marriage. They, they anticipated they would have children and that they'd have the blessing of having a son, one who would, would keep on the, take on the family name and keep the family name going and would enter the priesthood as did Zacharias. But as the years went on, their hopeful anticipation Turned to fervent prayer. Lord, we, we, we want this son. Please, Lord. And, and every day and every time that Zacharias went to the temple, year after year after year, he would have asked God, please, God, bless me with a son. But as they grew older, Zacharias and Elizabeth had lost all hope. There would be no son to carry on Zacharias' name or pass on the priesthood. And now on the greatest day of his aged life, in the greatest place of his service, as he went in to offer the incense, Gabriel just stands there and as a matter of factly says, do not be afraid, Zacharias. Your petition has been heard and Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. In the Greek, John or Yohanan means God has been gracious. God has shown favor. The intent is clear. Zacharias prayed. That prayer had been heard. God has been gracious and has shown favor and answered prayer. God has been at work even though he has been silent. That's sometimes the way our God is. That's the way he's at work. God is at work even when we don't hear his voice. So in verse 14, Gabriel continues, You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. And then Gabriel begins to tell some of the character of this son who is to be born to Zacharias and Elizabeth. Verse 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. John would have an inner greatness of the soul. The Lord had said to the prophet Daniel, For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man looks at the outer appearance. That is, man appraises or evaluates what kind of person someone else is by what they say, what they do, how they act. But God looks at the heart. John would have a great heart. In fact, the Lord Jesus would later say of John, Jesus said, I say to you among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Next to Jesus himself, Zacharias and Elizabeth's son, John, would develop a heart and a soul that is second to none other than Jesus Christ. Not even second to Abraham, the father of faith, or Joseph, or Daniel, or King David, who, who had a heart after God's own heart. John, here is the greatest man born of women. The Lord is gracious. Now, two things describe John's character. First of all, he will drink no wine or liquor. And secondly, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Now, two things are noted here. One has to do with the physical, the external, the the, the personal life that he lives. He will neither drink wine or liquor. The other has to do with the internal, with the spiritual. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. So the angel identifies something about his character on the outside and on the inside. First of all, he'll drink no wine or liquor. Liquor is often translated in the New Testament as strong drink that intoxicates. And what the angel is saying here, this demonstrates just generally a temperate lifestyle a moderate lifestyle, a lifestyle of self-denial. We learn later in the Gospels that John, of all things, he wore camel's hair, a leather belt, and he ate locusts and wild honey. All that to say he demonstrated a great temperance and an indifferent attitude towards the pleasures of the world. I don't think you'd find much pleasure in wearing camel's hair. seems like be a little itchy to me and eating locusts and wild honey. But all this is saying that his lifestyle would not be after the pleasures of the world. And that takes us even further. He will not drink wine or liquor as a life commitment. But it's more than just giving up the pleasures and comforts of life. John is going to distance himself from these pleasures and comforts. And that's because he's going to be so preoccupied with the work that God has called him to do and commissioned him to do. That's his external character. And secondly, internally, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while he had in his mother's womb. This is one of the most poignant statements about the sanctity of human life that we have in Scripture. It speaks of the viability and God-given human life of a fetus. The Bible teaches us that life begins at conception. And here in John is a life capable of being controlled and dominated by the Holy Spirit before he has even come into this world. Before birth even. You see, the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit simply means that it would be under the influencing control and power of the Holy Spirit of God. His life will be under spirit control. His life will be dominated by the will of the Holy Spirit. The will of the Holy Spirit, of course, is largely expressed in the Word of God. But his life will be dominated by Holy Spirit influence. It simply means God's Holy Spirit will be in control of his life while he's still in his mother's womb. I want you to turn over to verse 39 of this first chapter of Luke. Because in verse beginning in verse thirty nine we find a wonderful testimony of what it not only what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit but what happens when Jesus and John while still in their mother's wombs have a personal encounter. In verse thirty nine of this first chapter of Luke, we, by this time through the Holy Spirit Mary has conceived and will bear the Son of God, and the angel Gabriel confirms this by telling her that her cousin Elizabeth, that's Zachariah's wife, Elizabeth, has also conceived a son in her old age. So Mary went in a hurry to visit Elizabeth. Now, whenever I watch a movie about the birth of Jesus, this is always one of my favorite scenes in the movie, in the story of Christ. Mary and Elizabeth coming together, beginning at verse 39 of this first chapter of Luke. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah. And Mary entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And now it has happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by her Lord. You don't need to turn to it, but then over in verse 67 of the same chapter, Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. Now this is a powerful family. A spiritual family. Everybody, the Bible says here, Elizabeth, Zacharias, and John, while still in his mother's womb, were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. They were under spirit power and influence. They are such an example to us. And having seen the character of John, Gabriel now turns to John's calling or ministry. What will John do? What will be his special calling? What will be his purpose? Verse 16 says, he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord, their God. And it is he who goes as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the children or hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. We've come full circle this morning. Gabriel quotes here the last two verses of the book of Malachi. Malachi, back where we ended with the Old Testament, the fourth chapter of Malachi, verses 5 and 6. In verse 5 of Malachi chapter 4, the Lord says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, That would be the second coming of Christ. But he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. John is to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Remember Elijah. He was the prophet that had denounced the apostasy of his own people. He stood on Mount Carmel before the sacrifice of God, and he he withstood the pagan prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And God rained down fire from heaven on Elijah's behalf to prove that the Lord, he is God. And at that point, the people who had been following Baal fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. He is God. John would minister in the same spirit and power of Elijah. And John's ministry would so affect the hearts of the people that it would revolutionize the way they lived in their homes, turning the hearts of the fathers to their children. Fathers would awaken to their parental responsibilities. And what was the overall purpose of John's ministry? So as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He's going to get people ready for the arrival of the Messiah the Lord Jesus Christ. He had a real ministry of Old Testament conversion. God or John got people to turn from their self-righteousness, to turn from their sin and to turn back to God. He was going to bring people to the recognition of their sin that would produce repentance. He was going to bring them to the recognition of their hard hearted and disobedient attitudes. And God was going to use him to change their hearts so they would pursue righteousness. He was going to be used by God to bring about conversions. So, you would have a group of people that were ready for their Messiah's arrival. Many of the people who came to believe in Jesus Christ, including some of Jesus' own apostles, and many who came to believe in Christ after he died and rose from the grave, had their hearts prepared under the ministry of this great man named John. John's great contribution to the kingdom of God was to bring about a body of people to spiritual conversion, to be ready to receive the Messiah when he arrived, to make a people ready. As we close, though, I want to give some more thought and application to the words of the angel. Your petition has been heard. Your petition has been heard. For decades, Zachariah's been asking God for a son. He would have prayed that prayer daily in his prayer time. And he certainly would have prayed for a son whenever he went to the temple to worship and when he was offering the incense. And at some point, the age Zacharias would have given up on that prayer. But God didn't. God answered Zacharias' longstanding prayer. For 400 years, the people of Israel had been praying for the Messiah to come. They prayed for the promised one, the promised one of the Old Testament, the Messiah who would sit on the throne of David. The people praying outside the temple when Zacharias placed the incense on the hot coals would have been praying that prayer for Messiah to come. And as the incense burned and the smoke rose, God was answering their prayers. What is it that you've been praying for? Maybe for a long time that God has yet to answer. Maybe it's that thought you first have in the morning that you go, Oh, you know, I I need this, or I want this, or I need to ask God for this. Maybe it's something you worry about. Maybe it's something you worry about for somebody else. But you wonder why God is silent. Let me assure you that God is not silent. Or he He is silent, but God is at work. God is at work on your behalf. So I want to close with something I heard from Dr. Howard Hendricks, a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. And for 40 years, Dr. Hendricks had been praying for the salvation of his father. He said that ever since he received Christ as a boy, his concern was the salvation for his family. And on repeated occasions, he, he broached the subject of the gospel with his dad, But his response, his dad's response, was always less than excited. You see, his dad was a staunch, cigar-smoking military man. He had seen action all around the world. But when he talked to his dad, his dad's response was always the same. Son, don't worry about me. I'll work it out with God. As if God could be manipulated like a Pentagon official. And Dr. Hendricks shared the story of his father and how he prayed for his father's salvation at a pastor's conference. And one of the pastors of the conference shared the tape of Dr. Hendricks' message with a fellow pastor by the name of Butch Hardman. Butch listened to the tape, and he began to pray regularly for an unknown man by the name of George Hendricks, Howard's father. Later, Butch had the opportunity to go to a pastor conference, and he, he heard Dr. Hendricks speak in person, and he, he talked to him and a little bit uh, during one of the breaks, but he just had a brief encounter with Dr. Hendricks. But now, if any of you have ever listened to Dr. Hendricks, or if you had the chance to, to meet him, as I have, you know that his mannerisms and his style is unmistakable. Now, one day, Butch was driving the church bus down the street, having discharged all of his passengers. And he saw a man standing on the corner who reminded him uncannily of Howard Hendricks. Could it possibly be? He backed up the bus, stopped, got off, went over to the man and asked him, are you by any chance Howard Hendricks' father? It's easy to imagine the startled response. Uh, uh, are you a son? Are you a student of my son? No, I'm not, but he sure has helped me. Got time for a cup of coffee? And the two men developed a friendship as they met and talked often together. Butch soon discovered that George was dying of cancer. And through their friendship and the sharing of gospel, one day when George was lying in his bed, Butch opened God's word and led George to Christ. And when George accepted Christ, he got up out of bed, stood, and saluted with a smile, Now I'm under a new commander-in-chief. And that night, Butch called Dallas, Texas. The phone rang, and Dr. Howard Hendricks greeted the young pastor from Arlington, Virginia. What are you doing? Butch asked. Studying, he replied. Nothing special. Are you sitting down? Yes. Why? Your father just trusted Christ this evening. He what? You've got to be kidding, Dr. Hendricks blurted out. Forty years of long-standing prayer had been answered. That is the way our God works. And that's the way he's working in your life, even when it seems like he's silent. That's the way God works in your prayers. James 5.16 says, The effective or fervent prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. What the text says is, The prayer at work of a righteous person has great ability. The prayer at work in a righteous person has great ability. And that is because it is God who is at work in us and through us and for us to accomplish His purposes and His glory. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you once again for this example of Zacharias and how you worked in his life, the example of Howard Hendricks and his testimony. And Father, we know because you have promised, Father, that you hear our prayers. And Father, even though we can't see what you are doing and how you are working in many of the instances, Father, we thank you that you're always working on our behalf. Fulfilling those purposes that you have for each one of our lives. Father, ministering to us through your Holy Spirit. And we understand and know that promise, even when we do not know how to pray as we ought. The Holy Spirit makes utterance for us with groanings too deep for words. Father, for this we give you thanks. And we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you for joining with us on this Facebook live stream. And you can also hear my messages on the audio podcast at BeholdingIsGlory.org. That's BeholdingIsGlory, one word, dot O-R-G. And if you'd like to donate to this ministry, uh, you can mail it to Bill Slaybaugh, Post Office Box 523 Emmett, Idaho, 83617. And if you didn't catch that, uh, you'll find the address I, I posted on Facebook. And also you'll find it at uh, BeholdingHisGlory.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you. May he keep you in perfect peace. Amen and amen.